Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back. My guest today is Johnny. Without Yousef, we're talking about the wild west of creating money on the internet. Given the living hell that real businesses have been through with COVID, many budding entrepreneurs are trying to get some of that sweet, sweet internet money. So today, expect to learn the biggest tips Johnny has learned over 10 years of working on the internet, the fundamentals of creating an online business, why traffic and conversions are life, the most common problems everyone makes, and much more. It's just nice, even if you're not planning and starting an online business, it's really good to understand the dynamics of how it works. And if you are thinking of doing it, you need to know the fundamentals. You need to understand why you should build alongside your audience, how organic and paid strategies go together. And there is no one better on the planet to talk about this than Mr. Jonathan Watson from Propane Fitness. Also, if you like this and you want to find out more, you can head to propanefitness.com slash MW Business, and that is a free online business training that is not just for fitness professionals, but for absolutely everyone. PropaneFitness.com slash MW Business. I hope that it helps. This seems like the sort of episode that really could uh, help to broaden your horizons about how you can make money. In other news, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by fitbook.co.uk. If you are a fitness professional, before you think about pivoting online, you need to sort out what's happening in the real world and fitbook.co.uk are the best place to go. Fitbook are the first company in the UK who provide the public with vetted and monitored health and fitness professionals. Everyone on the site is DBS checked and their work is monitored, which means that you are only alongside high quality other fit pros. Members say that their business wouldn't have survived 2020 if it wasn't for Fitbook. Corporate Livewire awarded them the health and fitness business of the year. And with the Modern Wisdom discount code, it works out at 38 pence per day, which is far cheaper than pretty much any other marketing that you could do. So head to fitbook.co.uk slash modernwisdom and use the code modernwisdom for 50% off your Fitbook membership. You can constantly generate passive leads and clients just by having a membership with Fitbook for 38 pence per day. And if you're a customer who wants to find a fitness professional in your area, then you can browse all the vetted and checked fit pros for free. Fitbook.co.uk slash modern wisdom if you are a fit pro and just fitbook.co.uk if you are a customer. But for now, it's time to learn how not to start an online business with Jonathan Watson. Jonathan Watson, welcome to the show. Hey Chris, thanks for having me on. Feels like we're missing something today. I know, I know. The the third square missing a, a, a scone shaped like the like raisin and almond scone shaped hole. Uh, Yusuf is saving lives, uh, whereas me and you just spend all our time on the internet. So I thought I'd get a hold of you today and just record a a rogue podcast. What are we going to be talking about? Well the internet basically or how how people make money using the internet so i guess the the broad subject would be online business building an online business starting an online business um and it's pretty common at the moment isn't it very much so i mean I think a lot of people know they're either thinking about it you can't make money anywhere else there is no money to be made in real person at the moment yeah yeah well i suppose like 
even people who go to offices or have worked in an office their entire life are now basically living the same life as someone who's been a like a digital entrepreneur their entire life so everyone's working from home there's a lot of remote working um but yeah so i suppose uh this is something that i've been doing with yousef for quite a while um since 2010 ish officially um i think we actually incorporated the business i don't know whether you know this chris but i think we actually incorporated propane in your flat in jesmond yeah i seem to remember that so you've been running an online business for over a decade and now the main source of your business is teaching other people to run an online business so if there is anybody on the internet that can tell us what how to start an <laughs> online business how not to it's you well i mean that's very kind of you <laughs> i can i can certainly talk about the 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 pros and cons and the kind of the common mistakes so we do uh fitness coaching and then the other side of what we do is i guess teaching people who do fitness coaching to use the internet to teach fitness coaching um <laughs> and that's that's kind of a so you know helping helping pts a lot of personal trainers at the moment are um obviously they can't train clients so a lot of them are using the internet using an online based service to coach clients and that i think a lot of them have run into this problem of like oh, i'll just do a zoom thing i'll just get people on a zoom, and then you're like oh, actually there's quite a lot to this it's quite complicated um and then we step in to help Got you. so that's kind of our, our or, or what gives me any kind of right to talk about this i guess you've got you've got license to talk about it man so where do we where do we begin like what are the why would someone even want to start a business on the internet it's a good question i think why did i want to start a business on the internet's probably the best place to explain that from so um i started out of university i went into a like a typical nine to five well, it's not nine to five supposed to be nine to five you have to sign that bit of paper that means that you're that they can basically make you work as many hours as you want um, and i was driving to work listening to i think the book that every anyone with a hint of entrepreneurial desire is read which is the four-hour work week um and in that book if you've not read it by a guy called tim ferris he talks about basically starting a business as this kind of way to um live the live the life live life on your terms so you have more command over your uh, when you work, where you work, how much money you make, etc., um, the multiple currencies, and uh, he refers that to that as a muse. So you build a business that's kind of small. You're not trying to build the next Facebook. You're not trying to conquer the world. You're trying to earn a living, selling something, um, typically through like maybe through like a drop shipping process, which I guess we'll talk about shortly, um, or selling information getting it to the point where you can actually leave the constraints of the typical employed life and work for yourself. And uh, I guess a lot of people, even as they progress through a career, um, realize that they're basically in this cycle of, um, I am working for a salary, I have to go to a certain place, um, and I get paid a certain amount, and I have to work for this amount of time, otherwise that I don't get the paycheck at the end of the month. And I think you only need to know one person who doesn't fit that mold and to be honest i think it was you for me chris it was like the the one friend who's like yeah but he he earns more than than my friends and he doesn't have to go he doesn't have to put a tie on he doesn't have to wear a shirt and he doesn't have to travel to stockton every morning to go and uh, order a manufacturing plant um <laughs> so like, like you know everyone you just have to know one person that you start to question these things and you read these books and i think now 
um, a lot of people are, are having similar questions when you know they've been forced to work from home or perhaps even lost their job for various reasons. It's like, well, what else could I do that's maybe less reliant on somebody else or, or another company? Why do online business rather than just progressing what you're currently doing in the real world? In terms of... What's the reasons for it? What are the benefits? Why not just be start your own accountancy firm? Leave the accountancy yeah. firm you're at and start your own as opposed to becoming like an online accountant somehow or selling online accountancy how to be an accountant courses. <laughs> or how to be a coach to coach accountants. A coach accountants yeah. to move online. Yeah. Well, uh, to be honest, I think one of the easiest ways to do something like this is actually to take a skill you already have and just do it for yourself online. A lot of service-based businesses can be done like that. Um, so I suppose the, what I immediately think of when I think of online business and why someone would want to start it is it's usually some kind of informational in, information transaction, right? So it's a service or it's selling advice or it's selling information. Um, there are others, but that's a very common type. And the reason for that is it doesn't really involve the traditional uh, structure that you'd think a, a normal business would would require. Right? So you don't need an office. You don't need a 25 grand startup loan. You don't need loads of stock. You don't need a factory, a production line or any of that stuff. Uh, it can literally be you and a laptop um, and the, the information that you have or, or some kind of service that you're looking to provide. And the missing piece of that puzzle is clients, I guess, um, and a way to help them. But if you get yourself into the position where you have clients in a business like that, it can be extremely profitable because the costs are nothing, basically, or the costs are you, your time and the software and the technology that you need. So the low barriers to entry in terms of not needing massive amounts of investment financially and the low skill barrier to entry, I suppose, as well, that you are, for a lot of people with their online business, repurposing existing knowledge that you already have and then just putting it out into the universe to see. I think it's, was it you that told me everyone is an expert in something? Yeah, so that, there's a, there's a few people online that really promote that, that message. That like, if you the more you think about it, if you had to, so I think we spoke about this on maybe a, a Life Hacks episode where one of the bits of advice I gave was try in some way to think like, how would I monetize myself? And I don't mean like set up an OnlyFans account. I mean... <laughs> Although the, you know, arguably that's they're, make, they're making well. more money than all of us, so yeah, <laughs> complain. They're the ones winning. Um, but yeah, like I, I know some people personally who who worked as like an engineer or something that you wouldn't necessarily think um, could be translated online. But they were receiving a salary and then they left that set up on their own, and now they're kind of consulting in the same capacity, earning three, four times the amount. Um, so I suppose it's going from taking something that you're maybe doing for somebody else in the, co the confines of a business and they're paying you kind of what they think that's worth, but the market may think that's worth more, right? Someone else or multiple five, six, 10 customers may think, well, I'll pay a monthly fee for that advice or I'll pay uh, a fee for access to help and, and consulting on that uh, specific thing. So yeah, there's there is still a barrier to entry. I think that just to quickly cover the the misconception here, and I think the Mike Winnett, who you've had on twice now, yeah, once or twice. So his his YouTube channel and the idea behind the entrepreneur is there is a big movement in the online world that if you buy some course and set up a webinar or something like that, 
you can suddenly have an online business. And I, I, I get the idea of it. And obviously the people selling the course, I'm sure make a lot of money out of it. But I think just because a business is online, it doesn't mean that demand and supply and like the basic principles of why someone purchases something don't apply. They definitely do. So if you have something valuable or you have a service or some knowledge or some expertise that is valuable to someone else in the sense that you can shorten the gap from A to B, like I'm trying to learn to slackline, right? How do I slackline? I've got no idea. Well, I could just work with someone who's an expert in slacklining and they'll make me slackline in 12 weeks, for example, right? So that, I mean, that's a service that you could be turned into a course or a service. And I don't think anybody could say that, like, if that's your goal, you want to learn to slackline and you learn to slackline, that you've done anything wrong by selling somebody that information or that help, right? You've, you've delivered a valuable service and you can use the internet to do that in a very highly like profitable way that doesn't, you don't have to sell to people on your street or in your town. You can sell to people anywhere in the world. So the scale and the ability to leverage are two of the main points, I think, uh, People entering the online world won't necessarily be familiar with those words, but the Naval Manak has certainly helped, and people like Jack Butcher talk about it an awful lot on the internet. Um, you can only do one PT session at a time, but if you make a course that people can follow passively, you can have a million people do it. It's not like you need to say that word a million times to every single person that's watching. Uh, you, you don't yeah. get a call in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. like, right, Johnny such and such is doing some chest press over in Adelaide. You're going to have to get up and like <laughs> and Skype him so that he understands what he's doing. So that's certainly one of them. And you touched on kind of the dark secret of the classic nine to five world, which is that the amount of security that you get from your job is offset by you not capturing the upside of whatever the transaction is with the person that's paying for you. And that really is like, for so many businesses, especially looking at COVID this year, the people who should have been the most worried were the totally use, useless fluff filler middle management, like the, like the, <laughs> the regional manager of HR. Like, why do you need – you've got a guy in each town and you've got a director of HR. The guy that's in between is basically there to make the guy at the top's life easier and the guy at the bottom's life harder. But the person that actually delivers the value is the person who is cranking the widgets. And the person who coordinates everything is the guy that does strategy up at the director's office. So very often there is within a business, the person at the bottom can't be afford, they can't afford really to pay that person much more because they have all of these different layers of bureaucracy to make sure that that person at the bottom is actually doing their job. So if you as the person at the bottom who can do the job and knows that you're reliable and maybe has the business acumen to think, right, I, I can go to the market. Maybe I understand branding. Maybe I'm quite good at copywriting. Maybe I've got a bit of an eye or I've got some existing contacts within the industry. I can perhaps try and pivot this online. So what are the, what are the common types of online business? What are the most common ones that people use? So I think there's a lot, there's, there's common types that a lot of people try that don't necessarily last very long. And what like, might what be, are those? So I think like everyone's seen an ad for like Forex trading for example, or drop shipping is a very common one. Um, you know, like making money through drop shipping stuff on Amazon and you hear that and you're like, I don't know what any of those words mean, but it sounds great. <laughs> um, so, you know, the stuff that, um, I suppose is easier to, to conceptualize. You think, okay, I'm going to 
buy something from overseas and ship it and then sell it and I can run it all from my laptop. And obviously there are businesses that run like that and they're immensely successful. But I'd say most people who try that don't succeed because there's there's like operational risk with that. You've got to actually, you're moving physical things around and you can get that wrong. Forex markets, um, we've just released a, a podcast of you so having a bad experience with stuff like that. I think it was on life fails, life hack fails. You so spoke about that. So that has its downsides as well. Um, so I think the most common type of online business that I see consistently succeed is basically exactly what we what we spoke about where um copywriting or uh, consulting uh, larger businesses or obviously personal training right things that can can quite easily to be honest be taken from an offline here i am in the flesh speaking to you telling you what to do in a one-to-one or maybe a one to three or four if you're doing group-based stuff now i'm going to package the the knowledge that i would typically deliver in that session i'm going to put it into videos, text, like stuff that appears on a screen that anyone can access whenever they want, or I'm going to do the same coaching, but, but virtually that's a very, um, especially if you've already got the knowledge and expertise, it's a very low cost, very like, despite what a lot of people think, there's a lot of technical know-how there at this point, there really isn't. Um, so that I'd say that was the, the most common. So, and that I would even argue that people who you don't have to have a course right, or an ebook or something like that for it to be an online business. I think if you are using the internet to deliver the service and you are doing it remotely and you are working with a client or multiple clients, I'd say that's an online business, right? right. You don't have to have a members area or a, an ebook to sell. Um, so I know people who are accountants who do this or, as I say, engineers who do this, who, who do consulting-based work, but they work for themselves and their business is all remote, all online. Yeah, so I guess that kind of changes the dynamic of an online business a little bit. You're not necessarily delivering. I mean, my accountant delivers his product to me via email. I wouldn't consider him to be an online businessman, despite the fact that Chris probably hasn't been into his office for a year. Yeah. He doesn't need to. Um, so, yeah, that, that's an interesting way to look at it. What about principles? Say there's someone that's listening that thinks I have some expertise or maybe I'm a PT who's considered, well, I mean, go to propanefitness.com slash modern wisdom if you're a PT that wants to pivot online. But if you're just someone who's thinking, right, I want to get started in the online world, what are the principles? What should they focus on getting right first? Yeah, so that's, I suppose, when people, it, this is the most common failure point is the starting point. And it's the the rabbit hole, the one of 10 rabbit holes that you can go down and spend months down without actually gaining any kind of traction. And that's the common stuff like, Online business needs means I need um, a, an expensive website and a great logo, and I'm, I'm worried about whether it should be purple or green, um, or maybe even building out a program or building materials, doing cash flow forecasts and all this sort of stuff. And I think it, basically you can have all of that right, but ultimately not have a customer and not have any revenue. You, you technically don't really still have a business to speak of. Um, so the example I always give our students is like Yusuf and I ran uh, Propin Fitness for quite a while from microsoft word like that that was it um how did that email. work well and email obviously we were just typing <laughs> typing documents for ourselves so we we were yeah i wrote this really long document and i just kept paying myself it was, <laughs> it was great now we uh, we would email clients from our personal email and it would all be done through word there was not really a website in place Everything was through terrible, paypal or something probably man- exactly. manually submitted invoices a nightmare nightmare um it's the sort of thing Yusuf has recurrent nightmares about now. But um, the point is, is that like 
the why did it work? Well, we were just, I have this thing that I'm trying to do and I'm struggling. Or I have this thing in my life that I'm trying to get rid of or solve and I don't really know how to do it myself. So I'm looking for a solution. And that's everything down from a consumer, like a you and I looking to solve a problem or a, a business or an organization looking to solve a problem and want to get someone in remotely. If you're solving something like that, then someone somewhere will pay to have that problem solved or that goal process accelerated for them. And that's basically where you step in as a, as a, as a business, as an offering. And if you get that bit right, you can make a lot of mistakes and still kind of succeed. Like you can, you can get a lot of the technicals wrong and still have happy clients basically. What's the question that you're asking yourself to try and work out whether you've got that right? Is it, is there a market for the thing that I'm trying to give? Yeah, so I think so something we'll, we do with our clients is you have this hypothesis, which is like, I think this kind of person wants this kind of thing, right? I, want, I think this sort of person wants this, pro- wants this problem solved or wants to reach this goal. And oftentimes, and again, this is for our work week advice, scratching your own itch is a pretty easy way to start, right? Like I like, so Yusuf and I started Propin Fitness because we were really into fitness and we'd had a really elongated struggle figuring it all out. And we knew we could compress five years into five months for someone else. So that's a quite an easy one, easy way to start. So we knew there was already a demand there because people were asking us for it. Um, or it's like, how can I test that assumption? So asking friends and family, asking you on your social media, you know, I'm thinking about doing this for this sort of person. Do you think anyone would be interested? Do you know what's, anyone? What's who'd an be expedited interested? way of doing that? Just posting online? I think going to your social circle. Yeah. Like your personal Facebook, your personal social media and saying, you know, I'm going to start this new thing, this new venture. It's going to be doing this sort of service for this kind of person or this kind of business. Do you know anyone that might be interested? Just have a conversation with them and see if it's right. Because if one person's got the problem and they're like, you know what, I'm happy to just pay you for that. Mm. That tells you something pretty important. That, you know, if there's one person, there's, there's probably going to be more than one. Chris Sparks has an interesting heuristic he uses for this where he says, what do people often ask you for advice on? So a lot of the time you might be the the tech techie guy the guy that understands what the new gadgets are that are coming out or how to set up your iphone properly or you might be the guy that's in good shape or the guy that can cook interesting meals or the guy that raised his kids to not be complete brats all of Mm -hmm. those things that people come to you and say man like you know i love how charlie and david are just so well behaved like what did you do with them and then you look at someone like savan matosian who i had on the show a couple of months ago he was raising children then decided, I quite enjoy raising children and people like my methods. I'm going to document it on Patreon. And now him and his wife have a business. That's a business. Mm-hmm. Like, I know it's run through Patreon, which is, again, you, it's not the most flash of websites. You've involved a third party. They're taking a commission. They're doing all the right. There's no fancy landing page or retargeting. But it's making money on the internet, selling expert knowledge. Exactly. We, we've been in programs where, you know, you'll kind of interact with other people who are, also running a business online. And I think a lot of people assume like, oh, everybody doing this is selling how to make money online, right? And that's the only business that can work. There was a guy on this on this call who was had the biggest business by anybody by quite a margin. And he was teaching guitar teaching. Like, he was just teaching people how to play the guitar on the internet and doing like multiple hundreds of thousands per month doing that. <laughs> and you're just like, how? 
you know, but but at the core of it, it's like, well, why is he successful? Well, a lot of people want to learn to play the guitar. Probably in 2020, this kind of time, maybe more than ever. It's like it's a hobby I can do at home. I've got a guitar. I never played it. I'm going to take it to guitar playing course, and he's doing really well. So, it doesn't even have to be the thing that you do professionally. It doesn't have to be. Well, if I'm an accountant, I'm going to loads of the examples you mentioned there. Um, it's often like the passion or the thing that you have that you're you're like obsessed with mm. that a lot of friends would ask you for help about. And if you were to turn that into a product or an offering, because you know so much about it and because it's the thing that you're always reading and learning more about, it ends up being pretty good. Okay. The thing that you produce. So that's the first principle. Make sure that there's an actual market for what you're going to create and don't Absolutely. obsess over fancy website, fancy branding, getting an office, getting a backdrop, getting a flower wall, none of that. What's next? I think the next thing would be, so ideally you you don't want to get into a, a one-to-one based business if you can um just but it's a great way to start but you are very constrained long term if you want to try and grow that you're limited by hours in the day it's kind of the same problem however if you're going to produce something you're going to make a course or make anything that you're going to sell i think the best way to do that is to do it with customers so try and try to get into conversations with a few people through research through figuring out is does this problem actually exist even if it's for free um, and they're not paying you initially, but build the thing that you're going to offer to the market with the the help and input of people who are actually that market. Because I think if we assume it's a, a standard kind of information-based business, so the, the area we know the, the most is, is fitness, right? So if someone, if, if Yusuf and I had just made a lot of our fitness programs from what we found interesting, it would have been way over the heads of a lot of our customers. And the example I use a lot is like, we do get people join the program and say, which foods have protein in? Like, which food should I eat that have protein in? And you're like, surely, like, surely no one's asking that question. Right? But if we don't cover that in the program, it's a bad experience for the customer. So I think making the service, if you've got the expertise, the challenge is, what is it like to not have the expertise? Like, what was that like again? How, how does it feel to completely not understand all the stuff that I understand now? And how can I help someone acquire the same information? Well, I'm going to work with someone who doesn't have the information. I'm going to try and figure out what the best way to do that is. And what you end up with is a really good offering for the customer, not just what you think is interesting or what you think's the right thing for you. That's that a, makes sense. That's a common error that people make, right? Making a product that they think that they want themselves yeah, that doesn't fit the market at all. Exactly. And it's either too basic or too advanced a lot of the time. Mm. Yeah, I guess another online business that we haven't touched on yet is becoming some sort of creator, whether that be Instagram influencer, starting a podcast, starting a YouTube. Um, And I can say from personal experience that if you're starting a podcast with the hopes that it's going to be the thing that you make money from, like just do something else because (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's such a slow, long burner to get yourself to the stage where you can even begin to monetize where you can even get advertisers to take one look at you and then to move from that stage to the stage where the amount of money starts to remotely be worth your time on an hourly wage again that's not a thing and if you're doing it for the money you're going to run out of gas pretty quickly whereas if you're just doing a thing that you enjoy it doesn't really matter the money comes the money comes it doesn't it doesn't and that's kind of what i found but i think we made on YouTube in the first year, the ad revenue that we made in total was somewhere in the region of about £75. 
and we'd done wow. we'd done fifty episodes, maybe more than fifty episodes by then. Um, and there's this sort of rule, uh, urban myth rule that's floating around on the internet that it takes 150 episodes of a podcast before you can monetize it. Now you can actually hasten that. Obviously, you could do that in a year if you're doing three a week, which is where I'm at now. Then you could you could do that in a year. But most people are doing one a week, which means you're going to be doing a podcast for three years before you can even start to sell ads. So, again, Joe Rogan getting a many, many million pound deal from Spotify is amazing and Logan Paul and Russell Brand getting taken off off normal podcasts and put behind a paywall and Sam Harris monetizing in another way. All of that stuff's great. But the typical way that people make money from podcasts and from YouTube is with a combination of baked in, i.e. the, hey guys, this episode is brought to you by and the ad revenue uh, adverts that you have to skip on YouTube on the way past. You need to be doing an awful lot of plays before you can get to that stage, which means you're going to be very, very disappointed and unfulfilled for a long time before you get there. But again, as I said, the beauty is if what you're doing is something you enjoy, it kind of doesn't matter. You're just going to be on the treadmill, ticking over, ticking over, and if and when the money comes, then fantastic. But yeah, it can be, it'll be a miserable, miserable process if you weren't, if you're doing it for a cash return. So I think there's two in like the online business world, there's two camps really. There's there's like the direct response world, which is have a product or an offering, get someone to click a link and into enter their email address and then buy it. And that's the way that you build your business. And then the other side is more the branding side, which is pretty much what you've spoken about, where you know you spend five years building this audience, this interested audience, and then you sell something to that audience and it does incredibly well. And I think where we sit is is somewhere between the two. I think there's value in, in both of those. And I think both of them done to their extreme have a lot of downsides. Um, but I th- isn't YouTuber is still like the most desired career, right? Number, when one, they num- serve it. number one career that <clears throat> children between the age of five and eight want to be is YouTuber. It used to be like doctor, policeman, firefighter. Um, Astronaut. As- yeah, like none of that. It's like YouTubers, number one. Uh, and little do they know that what they're going to spend almost all of their time doing is looking at a camera and forgetting the line that they just wrote below it on a on a laptop and going, ah, fuck, Dean. Like, and that's it. That's what you do. You spend your time thinking of ideas. I'm currently, the big push for this year is to do what I can with the Modern Wisdom YouTube. Started trickling some of those proper monologue videos out. And um, it's only when you get really, really deep into the weeds of the video creators, Tim Schmoyer, who's this YouTube-affiliated coach. Uh, Seth's done his course. I'm going through it at the moment. Um, or that any one of a million, Ali Abdal, even him and his course, when you get really deep into the weeds, you realize just how sophisticated YouTube is. Like Mr. Beast, yeah. if you've seen his videos, <clears throat> very, very successful YouTuber. I know it might appear like most of the videos, just like, hey guys, we're going to see what happens if we put one million footballs in this park. But that has taken months of planning mr beast has two people that work for him and all that they do is give him 300 video titles every week and then he goes through and goes like no 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 maybe no 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 maybe maybe like that's it 300 video titles every single week and then from there they just iterate down iterate down iterate down that is oh my god i mean so that i've seen i have seen those videos where it's like everything you can fit in this circle i'll pay for and my first question is like, how is he funding that? 
But, I mean, ad, 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 the, the ad, ad revenue ad he'll revenue. be doing will be in, uh, fairly insane. But yeah, it's not just the sort of thing that you tumble into. But that being said, if you have the passion to talk about politics or football or philosophy or cooking or whatever, like happily start a YouTube channel or a podcast about it. Personally, if it's a business, if that's the goal, I just think that you are starting off on such a back foot because yeah. the metric of success that you have chosen to judge your project by is the final thing which is going to arrive into your project way, way, way after late nights and awkward conversations and your partner saying, what the fuck are you spending time on your laptop for again? And all of those different things, all of those are going to occur first. And well, I think that in four years time, I might be able to start charging like 10 pound CPM for adverts on my channel isn't going to cut it. And it's also not going to motivate you. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a fantastic thing to do as a hobby. It's also a fantastic thing to do to um, further enhance an existing platform. Here's an interesting thing. I, I can't remember the podcast, but George put it in our Modern Wisdom chat, talking about the reverse direction now of people who begin with audiences and then create a product for the audience. Did you see that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you, can you explain what it means and, and kind of just give us your thoughts on it? So I can't, I can't explain the, I haven't read the art full article, but I'm aware of like the, the, the general concept. So okay. I think the, it's kind of, it's linked back to what I was saying before. So you either view it as, um, I'm going to, what I was, what I was talking about, like build this product to solve this problem and the audience will kind of build around that. So as you get customers and you get leads and you get people becoming aware of what you've done that creates the audience as a result of like the, the economic activity, the buying, the sales, the revenue. And the other way around is the, is the opposite. So you make a, a channel or some kind of platform where people are, have this common interest or this common problem, and then you solve that problem for them with a, with a product. And it, I suppose the difficulty is, is that with, with just making and with trying to make content to build an audience, there's a lot of guessing involved. And there's also, you still have to live somehow in the in the interim like you still got to pay yourself from from something a lot of people you see so ali, ali abdal is a great example right he's recently he was quite public about it he released his youtube i can't remember the name of it youtube creator something is this, this course seems to have done extremely well from it right but when he started his channel he wasn't doing it to try and earn a living he was working as a doctor and was working as a doctor for most of the time that he was doing it which has allowed him to put in two, three years of just regular high quality content, almost without even mentioning the financial side of it. So what he's really done there is he's built this audience of people who a lot of the time probably look at him and think, oh, I want to create a YouTube channel. I want to create a YouTube channel. I want to do this too. He's built this audience with a common problem and then he's swept in with the, with the solution to the problem mm. and been paid very, very well for it. Very so yeah, there are, there are pros and cons to both. I think the way, the way we do it is we have podcasts to, as you mentioned, we have podcasts to support an existing business and the podcasts aren't getting anywhere near modern wisdom number downloads. Um, but they do very well in bringing customers into the business. And it's weird. Like we, we make w way more from the podcast directly attributed than we'd ever make through, through ad revenue just by chatting about the subject, mm. right? Cause people like to listen to it. So it, it does really, I think, it really depends on what as well on top of like, what are you going to do and who you're going to work with? It's, it's kind of like, what, how do you want to spend your time? 
right? How do you want to spend a day? Because as you mentioned, the reality of being a YouTuber is a probably a little bit different. It's not just going around supermarkets with a trolley and giving it to someone and say, I'll buy everything you get. You know, there's a lot of prep. There's a lot of monotony. There's a lot of saying the same sentence 10 times and getting it wrong 10 times in a row and all that sort of stuff. Um, but that's, so that's, I would kind of start with that. Like, how do you want to, if you've got an idea in mind, how do you want to spend a day, an average day? What does that look like? And then which platforms or which um, business models but most suit that? Yeah. So um, if you're if you're the sort of person who likes to be wordy and likes to talk and has things to say and is kind of outgoing, then mm-hmm. a platform where you end up talking face to camera might be a great idea. But if yep. you're someone who's more analytical and introverted and wants to tinker with figures, then perhaps creating a course or selling an ebook and then retargeting and using ads maybe a little bit more up your street. That's a starting with the end goal of what is the sort of life that you want to live in mind, because very much the degrees of freedom you have when starting an online business are much greater than those when you go into a typical job. Like, do you, what, what do you want to do today is not a question that your boss often asks you. Like, mm-hmm. you don't get that when you walk in, right, mate, how are you feeling today? Do you want to do a bit analytical, a little bit more sort of creative? Like, you don't get that. Um, but when it's you at the beginning of whatever entrepreneurial side hustle, main hustle online business it is that you start, you are putting yourself onto a particular trajectory and presumably as well the longer that you go down that road the more difficult it's going to be it's either wasted time or a a direction that you're going to have to turn around and come back from yeah um and it's it's interesting actually because i hearing you say that like your i remember when a big chunk of your week was spent driving from manchester at three in the morning to back to Newcastle and then getting three hours sleep and then waking up and having to go and take the blow up T-Rex down from the club and moving the flower wall down. And now your day is very, very different. Yeah, massive. So I suppose, and I realize obviously nightclubs is one of the, one of the businesses that can't, can't really be done online. Um, but you've very much, I, I guess that the way that an average day looks like for you now is a lot more, it's certainly a lot more enjoyable. There's a lot fewer late nights. Sleeping patterns are hell of a drug, man. It's uh, <laughs> it's wonderful to wake up and go to bed at the same time. Yeah, honestly, crazy. All right, so what are the most common mistakes? We've talked about someone not understanding that they have a um, product market. Well, th- there's a market for their product. Also, product market fit is the product that they're creating for the market actually what it wants in terms of that delivery. Don't fuck about getting an expensive website. Don't spend ages building yourself an office. What else? Where else do people, what, what do they think is going to make the difference, which completely does not? I think um, there's, a, there's definitely an assumption that I'm just going to post on Instagram and it'll work. Like I, I've even heard that sentence or variations from that sentence from people who, um, it's pretty common if someone's like outside of the fitness industry, so that maybe a, a personal trainer they worked in the gym for a bit. They decided the 5 a.m. start wasn't for them. They now are working somewhere else in a different industry, and they think, I want to make online a go. I'm going to build an online business. And we have a chat with them, and they go, I'm going to, I'm just going to post on my Instagram, and I'll get I'll get five or ten clients, and then, then uh, we'll work together. And you try and convey how it's really not that simple. But if you don't, if you've never tried that before, why would that not work, right? Because Im- influencers do that. You see people doing swipe ups and linking bios and all this sorts of stuff, and it seems to work for them. Why would it not work for me? So, I suppose thinking that it's um, thinking that this this just because you start talking about it that people are going to care 
thinking that you have a link or you have something that you've made something that people are going to care um, is probably the next stumbling block. And I think that this is the point where people start giving up when they've been posting on social media for 30 days, set themselves a 30 day challenge in January, 2021. I'm going to post every day on my, my, my business Instagram and they don't make a sale and they think that they're doing something wrong. Um, so that sort of thing, um, lots of busy work, lots of, uh, copying someone who's famous doing similar things to them thinking that that's all there is to it what's the assumption there is it people people being mistaken around how hard it is to get others to part with their cash on the internet yeah i think so or more that like not maybe appreciating the gap between you know that what you've got is good you know that your service is good and that you can really help someone but no one else knows that and actually someone's less likely to trust you on the internet than really any any other part of your life so you know if you uh, the the advice we give our clients is you don't need to in, if you're if you're solving a problem you don't often need to convince the the customer that they need the problem solving i kind of know that like i kind of know that i want to lose weight or whatever it is it's just that i there's 10 reasons why i don't want it to be you <laughs> like there's 10 reasons <laughs> like i don't i don't trust you who the hell are you what's this why should that you know this is a scam so unless you're going to overcome those somehow, I'm just never going to pay any attention to what you're doing. So there has to be something online as part of your process. And this is what's often referred to as the sales funnel in a business or the like the sales sequence, the customer journey that starts to help somebody else see why you might be able to help them. Because um, the like the build it and they will come strategy of I've got a website with a product on and a, and a link to buy. So I'm going to post about it on Instagram and hope that people kind of find their own way through. It works for some people if they something they do goes viral for some reason. So they've got huge audiences and they get one percent of that audience to purchase. But most people don't achieve that. And most people will always fall short. So I think just thinking basically what you're doing in an online business, if you're reaching someone who doesn't know who you, who you are, you're walking up to someone in the street and saying, here's the link. Can I like, give, can me you just give me a card? Yeah, it's not going to work. So you have to treat them like a, it's the, the dating analogy is used a lot, right? You don't ask for marriage on the dance floor. So there's steps in between and you've got to create that experience online. And that's where it starts getting like, oh, there's quite a lot of work involved in this. And this is actually quite difficult, but that's the reality. There is quite a lot of work involved. It's a very nice way to live. It's a very um, rewarding outcome to have like a high profit margin business, but it, it isn't as easy as a lot of people imply it to be. What about if it's a lower ticket product? I'm selling an ebook on Gumroad about how to save money or something like that. I know Yusuf has some very strong opinions around this. Do I need a big fancy sales funnel for that, or can I just post on my Instagram? So Gumroad's got a bit of a got a bit of traction on Twitter. I, I don't think anyone really knows why. There's like a trust issue, I think, on, on Twitter in some places. Um, it's certainly easier, uh, but the other side of that is just because it's a lower price doesn't mean that it's a lower percentage of what someone's willing to spend if that makes sense like if i if i want to achieve like I'll, back to the weight loss example if i want to lose weight and i really want to lose weight and i'm serious about it and i've got some money to invest i'm going to look at the seven pound 99 ebook as like well the answer's not going to be in there right <laughs> otherwise i would have found it already so but the person who might be considering that might have 10 pounds to spend so you've still kind of got the same at every price point, you've got someone who thinks it's too expensive. At every price point, you've got you've got someone who'll complain. Um, so, and there's a 
there is a, a lot of research behind like lower price point sales tend to generate a higher percentage of complaints and problems and, and all that sort of stuff, which we've seen ourselves as well. Not to say that you can't have a seven pound, not a, an eight pound, 10 pound ebook, but I'd start at a higher price thing first personally and figure out the selling part. Because if you can't sell something to your customer, there's, there's probably something going on at a deeper level rather than it's more than 10 pounds. One of the things that's interesting there that most people don't realize is price isn't just the transaction of how much the customer pays. It's also a massive signaler to that customer of what they're paying for. That price is an indicator of quality. That's why a pair of Nikes cost £100, but a pair of like high-techs costs less. I don't know how much a pair of high-techs cost. Donne. Don, I was really going back to like what, what are the shit shoes I remember from 20 years ago. Donne. Um, yeah, you get what you pay for. And that is another piece of information. You have to think that the way that customers look at your website, they're looking at everything. They're looking at the sales copy. They're looking at the imagery. What does it look like? What are the colors like? Has someone put a ridiculous soundtrack over the top of this? Is the video well shot? And then the price is also another. Okay, so all of these different things tell me something about the business and person that is trying to take my money from me. The price is also another indicator of that. And I think that you're right. The presumption on the internet, even if people like your mum and my mum aren't explicitly aware, I think everyone knows that the costs on the internet generally are lower, which means that if the amount of money that's being charged is still super, super low, you've just got this, this sort of ick factor, this level of, of mistrust. And I get it as well. Even having seen, taken the red pill and sort of seen through the, the, the other side of the curtain about this stuff... I still see something. I'm like, that's 15 pounds. That can't be worth any value. And you go, well, hang on a second. Like, maybe, maybe it is. But that compulsion, that that sort of sense that you get, the response as a customer should tell you everything that you need to know. So yeah, I would, I would agree on that. Um, what are the markers of a good and a bad sales funnel? Let's say that someone has now been convinced. They say, right. I, understand the product i understand I need to have product market fit I've worked with a few people sort of started to build something up and now i'm i'm going to maybe start converting some slightly less hot leads some warm leads that i've got that i know some friends or maybe even starting to post out to the wider internet i need to build a sales funnel what are the principles around making it good and making it bad it's a big question um so i suppose that like the most important thing about anything like that especially if you're thinking i'm going to try and live off this is just repeatability um like if if a sales process works because like you're like a guy who you met once his mate went through it and bought from you and you're like oh my sales funnel worked like in there needs to be some aspect of you know once some every month i get about this many customers or i make the, about this many sales when i do these things and then you get, that's like a foundation to build on so repeatability does it consistently work um, it's quite hard to say like, this is the best sales approach or this is the best way to do it because that, that's very different market to market. Some things might just require a page that explains what it is with a video that explains how it works. Other things that are a bit more of a commitment might, might require a bit more contact with the person. They might involve a phone call. They might involve a, a group call or something like that. So I think I would, to, to start of where should I, where should I begin, I would think about who's the person that I'm trying to sell to and how do they normally make decisions, right? So if it's a personal trainer in a gym, like how does this person normally make a decision? Well, they might go to the gym 
for a trial session. It's like, well, okay, I can't do that on the internet. So how am I going to create this same feeling of like, I'm always getting a, a walkthrough of what it might be like or a, an experience of what it might be like. So you're mimicking a, a, a customer's decision, right? So that's a, probably the best way of, of giving a general answer is it, it should be, you should be able to rely on it really. And if you can't, it's not really doing the job that it needs to in, in running the business. And it should as closely as possible match what the customer needs to make a decision. If someone needs longer than a day to make a decision, but you try and make everyone make it, you try and make everyone make the decision in a day, it's not going to work. So uh, uh, that's how I would think of it. So for try instance, in, in that situation where someone takes longer than a day to make the decision, you could perhaps have an email sequence over seven days or over 14 days that would slowly explain to them the different benefits or perhaps even provide some free advice around whatever it is that you're talking about. Exactly. Uh, and that might yeah. convince someone. Whereas creating a 14-day a set of email sequences for a £10 ebook on something that's very transactional and someone can learn in half an hour kind of makes a lot less sense. Yeah, that's spot on. And I think like you and I have both bought courses, books, programs online before, right? So we are probably both of us on the side of the spectrum, which is skeptical, quite a lot of convincing, or like I need you to come up to me and say, you should buy this thing. Right. I'm not the sort of person who's going to make a decision very quickly, but some people do. And I think generally the way that we operate is there's usually 3%, 5% of any round of people who are just looking for someone to help them. Right. They're not, they're not in the browsing phase. They're in the, I'm going to buy one of these. I'm just picking which one. Right. right. I'm just, I'm best literally shopping. online weight loss program, exactly. best online PT course, best yeah. whatever just literally looking to buy something, right? So those people probably don't need six months, right? Because actually, if you wait six months, they'll have bought from somebody else. If someone's looking for a consultant, a program, a product, anything, and you are there and you speak to that person in a way that kind of makes them feel like you're a good you're a good choice, you can make some sales pretty quickly. But there are also people who will just click on something because it's the internet and people do it passively while Netflix is on in the background, right? They'll click on something and opt in but not really make a decision for a year. So you need the the shorter window, but also a way of kind of keeping in touch with people. So as you mentioned, email sequences, or that would be when a podcast or a YouTube channel or something like that comes in handy. So there's a lot to this, but basically it comes down to what does my customer need from me to make a decision about this, whether that's now or in six months time, and how do I create that experience in my business? So that if someone is just browsing, if you imagine a, a, sh a shop situation, if every person came in the shop, the shop assistant went up to them and pushed them against the wall and went, you've got to buy this now, <laughs> otherwise the time is going to run out, they'd probably go to jail, right? I imagine eventually they'd go to jail. Um, whereas if it's like, hey, can I help you? Do you want a free sample? Like, have you seen this, have this brochure? Can I get your email address? Do you want to be on our email list? Like, oh, what a nice experience. When I am ready to buy, I'm going to go back to that shop. It's It's thinking about it like that. There's not... There's no magical three-step script that makes this all work. It's just people buying from people. So you've got to mimic that as closely as possible. What we've talked about a lot so far has been, I would guess, mostly conversions, product market fit, making sure that people come in the right, that they understand what you're trying to sell them, that they don't get too put off. What about traffic? I need people to actually see the thing that I'm trying to sell them. How can I drive traffic? So this is something that Chris and I have like, 
discussed on and off for since I've known you. So I'm I'm Mr. Ads and Chris is Mr. Organic, basically. <laughs> so for people who don't know what those terms mean, like ads paying for I pay Facebook, Instagram, Google, whatever, for something to appear. And everyone's seen the word sponsored underneath an Instagram post, right? Organic would just be using a following that you have. Um, and I guess they require different approaches and different um, different strategies and tactics. So you can basically do one of those two things. You can run ads to something. You can pay to target a specific type of person who has a specific interest to come and visit your customer journey, right? Or you can take a, a less uh, direct approach and try and build things organically by getting getting traction. So you can have platforms and channels online. Instagram is, I guess, maybe slightly slightly on the downhill. It's hard to say. Um, a lot of people are building platforms on Twitter these days, YouTube channels, podcasts. And you send that traffic, those people, those clicks to where you know, if I send 100 people here, one of them will buy, generally speaking. Or you're so confident in the sales sequence that you've built that you know for sure from the last thousand people that one in 10 people buy, right? And if one in 10 people buy, and I know if I spend a hundred pounds, I make 150, then there's a pretty strong argument to then use advertising to just get people to come in through the door. Cause you know, you can very closely control who comes and sees you, right? Who comes and finds the sales sequence? Cause you can basically select interests and demographics and, and all that sort of stuff. So that that's the traffic side of things. And, and all of these, uh, words like conversions and traffic and the optimization of them are worlds in, in and of themselves. There's lots, there's lots to them. Um, we opt more for paid because it's a bit easier to control. And I guess Yusuf and I quite introverted, don't necessarily want to post that pose our tops off all the time. I'm like suited to being behind a, a spreadsheet and a graph. Um, whereas I guess Chris has been very successful with the opposite. So those are kind of two examples of, of how you might go and get attention to your business once it's built, once it's functioning. What's your current opinion on the online platforms for organic? In Six years ago, everyone wanted a Facebook page, and three years ago, everyone wanted an Instagram, and now TikTok's taking off. Sort of, Where are we at at the moment? What do you think is useful to use now? And then what's your predictions for the next sort of five to ten years in terms of where the, the power for organic is going to be? I think we probably agree on this, I think, in that I think search-based content is going to be the the dominant thing. And by search-based, if you imagine Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, they're feed-based social media. So, like, you don't necessarily search on Instagram for something or search on Facebook for something. A podcast, a YouTube video, an article, blog posts, that sort of stuff um, – is like someone types something into YouTube because they follow someone on YouTube or they follow a podcast, or maybe they read a blog regularly, for example. Um, you can make something once on those platforms. And it, I mean, I'm sure you've got some crazy stats over your, some of your videos, the higher performing ones, where it's, it's been made a year ago and still every day, a thousand people are finding it, a thousand people are finding it. And those are new people every single day. Um, I think there'll always be a feed-based social media. I think there'll always be like something that's, in vogue. I know like Clubhouse is the is something that's gradually gaining traction. TikTok's obviously replaced always going head to head with Instagram reels and stuff like that. That I think it's a dangerous game to get involved with because those platforms can can die overnight. Like we saw 
Facebook pages, Facebook business pages were the thing like six, seven years ago. And now you can barely get anybody to see a post if you post it on Facebook. So I, I think it'll be a long time before people stop searching for things on Google, people stop searching for things on YouTube. Whereas I think people can leave social media platforms very, very quickly. Mm, the bad bit of press. I've never, I've never thought about it like that, but that's a, such a good um, way to put it. So do you see almost the search-based stuff, which would be articles hosted on blogs, um, going through Google, YouTube, which is also owned by Google, and also the second most popular search engine in the world, and also appears within Google results. So YouTube's also <laughs> kind of somehow... A, a google um yeah that's the same thing yeah really. essentially yeah. um podcasts aren't wonderful on seo but they're not bad and they sometimes appear in there you would put that stuff into one particular side of the internet and then that that's moving at a slightly slower place that the turnover the attrition rate the churn rate of that is moving slower than facebook tiktok instagram clubhouse twitter etc etc i'd say so yeah so like it depends on sort of the, the age of people listening but um I can remember when all anybody spoke about was Facebook. And then I can remember when all anybody spoke about was Instagram. And then things gradually die. And now, actually, most of my friends have deleted their Facebook account because they saw some, like, woke Netflix documentary that makes them think they're being manipulated, <laughs> right? So, you know, I mean, but, but it's amazing, isn't it, how that can happen? How there's just a little bit of bad press about something and people are like, right, I'm, I'm off Facebook. Isn't it interesting that no, one, no one's deleted their YouTube account? Like no one has stopped watching YouTube. Precisely, precisely. Yeah, it, I so thought, like, thought this the other day. It wouldn't surprise me if Elon Musk doesn't have a, a Facebook account, um, and he deleted Tesla's Facebook page on a whim. Yep. And yet, him and Jeff Bezos, when they're sat somewhere at three in the morning because they've got jet lag because they've just travelled halfway across the world on the private jet, will one hundred percent watch videos on YouTube. There isn't there isn't a chance in hell, but there is a pretty big chance in hell that they wouldn't watch TikTok. So, yeah, it seems more ubiquitous, the, the search-based platforms. And you've got to consider, like, I, you know, people have bad things to say about Google, but they also have Gmail and Chrome. So for, like, those behaviors to stop, it's going to take real shifts. Because what's interesting is when someone deletes their Facebook account, they don't then spend no time on their phone they just replace that habit with instagram or tiktok or something else right whereas if you're searching for something or you follow a youtuber you just follow their content right because it's interesting and you don't you don't go on youtube with this like oh this is i mean yeah it's easy to spend five hours on youtube but it kind of feels better than spending five hours on instagram like it's so hard to explain why isn't it like it feels like time better spent so here's my here's one potential proposal for that the number of people who have accounts versus the number of people who create content for the platform on YouTube is more, uh, there's more inequality in that than probably on anything else. Almost, almost no one that's listening has ever uploaded a video to YouTube. And yet no one, wow. no, no one that's listening hasn't ever watched something on YouTube. The same can't be said for Facebook or Instagram. Like, you know, sometimes you wish that your dad would stop posting on Facebook. You're like, Dad, not again. Like, but the... the like, you're you know, like, Dad, stop stop uploading your channel, man. Yeah, you're, stop, you're, stop putting <laughs> vlogs on YouTube. <laughs> like, that, that doesn't happen. So I, I certainly think that basically what you have is uh, a channel with more 
higher barriers to entry to create the content for it because anyone can take a photo and upload it to Instagram. But because this race to ever-increasing quality, says the guy shooting this on a DSLR camera with a a studio-quality microphone, um, the race to ever-higher quality, because there is so much money to be made on YouTube and other similar platforms, if you get it right, has meant that it, it's almost if you were to say to someone, "Hey man, like I need you to film a vlog," you'd be like, are you being serious? Like yeah. film a vlog of myself—that's Logan Paul territory. That's Mike Thurston territory. But if you were to say, "Hey man, take put that on your story, take a selfie, and put it on your story," but that probably highlights where the value is felt and also the evergreen nature of the platforms. So the, that thing from David Perel, almost ninety percent of the content that you consume today will have been created within the last 24 hours. Like that statistic should terrify everybody (laughs) because it just means if it's easy come, it's easy go. It's probably pointless. You're not going to remember. You're not even going to remember that you consumed it. Whereas if you've got something which has been around for a little bit longer, it's most likely going to be of worthwhile content. If it's popped up on your radar after having been on the internet for three years, you're like, all right, well, you know, it's accumulated half a million views over three years. Perhaps this is actually worth your time. And it probably is because it's been selected for by other people as opposed to another booty selfie photo from like that girl that you follow on Instagram. I think the, I never thought about the the comparison of most people know someone who uploads to Instagram, Instagram regularly. Whereas like, I, I literally can think of you in terms of my, my social circle who posts on YouTube. It's, it's you. So I think part of that is a podcast and YouTube are like a step down from TV and radio in terms of how it's perceived. So for someone to think to be on YouTube, that's like, whoa, like I can't put myself on YouTube. That's like being on TV. Same with a podcast. A lot of people have nerves about being on a podcast. So, I mean, it, it's just one of those things where I would happily spend all day on YouTube because of the amount of stuff I can learn. And I think because of that and because you can, find a video that's 10 years old and it still be really valuable the incentive is to is to pour your heart into this like piece of art that mm. might still be exist in 10 years time whereas your instagram story isn't going to last more than 24 hours imagine imagine if you watched someone's instagram post or if you got delivered someone's instagram post from 10 years ago you go what what is this doing on my phone why is this here i don't want to know I don't want to know about that meal that they had a decade ago. Like that's pointless. Yeah. But the Insta- the video that they made on YouTube might be different. Okay, so organic and paid, we understand that. We understand that traffic is getting people to see the thing and conversions is getting people that see the thing to buy the thing. Is there anything else that we haven't spoken about? Are there any loose ends to tie up here? So I suppose the, the part that we've not covered is is actually providing the, the product or the service, um, which is harder to, to speak generally about because that, it's going to depend, right? Um, I, the, the the traps that I would avoid are um, view it as, yes, this is great when I've got three customers. I'm going to put everything into these three customers. They're going to get the most bespoke experience. I'm going to call them every morning. I'm going to make sure, you know, but that at 30 customers starts actually becoming a worse service, a worse way of living your life. The 31st customer has got to wait for the 31st email reply and if you're answering the same questions over and over again or delivering the same service that gets watered down all the time you just start to resent it um and i think where where we nearly got to with propane was at the point where it was like we just don't enjoy doing this which circles back to my point of like what do you want your day to look like 
if you build your business and how you work with your customers around that assumption and the platforms you pick and you end up enjoying it and you end up doing it for a long time. So I can't really say this is how you run an online business because the, the specifics of the delivery will vary a lot, but I would always consider what would happen if I, for some reason this did really start succeeding and I had doubled my customers by this time next week, would I be able to actually fulfill that? Because if, if your systems aren't scalable, then it'll just break and you'll hate it basically. Is there an argument to be made that at the beginning being a little bit closer to the customer is a good idea to get more of that quick iterative feedback? So I know that you guys did this when you first started out, although I, you look back on it now and cringe at the amount of time that you spent slash wasted. I also think there is value in that because it gives you such a uh, close-up, highly magnified look at the inner workings of a client-customer a, a, a client coach relationship or this could be for anybody this could be someone who is helping someone to start up their own small medium-sized business in the real world like Mm -hmm. understanding the pains that that person goes through as they begin to do it helps you to see down the line so perhaps do you think that might be a a a way to not not necessarily look to future proof yourself to the 10-year goal but to maybe just have a trajectory of how you could start dropping things away Definitely. Yeah. So I think there's there's absolutely, there's nothing wrong with working closely with your customers to get feedback and ideas and, and all that sort of stuff. G- generally, like what we advise now is if you're working with someone closely initially and they say, like, I don't understand how this works or can you explain this a bit better or um, what do you think about this? See that as an opportunity to create a resource for that question or something that is a, I'm going to answer this question once to the best of my ability, and then it's the best answer to that question ever, um, or it's the, the best explanation walkthrough of this ever, rather than, oh, yeah, good question, mate. Uh, let me just write a long email for you and press send, and then it's just going to disappear forever. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Like, the more you can know your customers, the better your service is going to be, the more the happier everyone will be. Did you see <laughs> Did you see Derek Sivers when he talks about what he did at CD Baby with customer inquiries? No. So CD Baby was the one of the biggest online stores selling music CDs. Derek Sivers, who has been on the show, multi, multi, multi-millionaire, also friend of Tim Ferriss and just generally interesting human. Every time that a customer rang, this is after he understood this particular problem he was coming up against, that he was constantly spinning his wheels, doing the same things over and over, he made a decision that he was going to create a... Um, operating procedure for the whole business for everything that he did um and every single time that a customer rang excuse me my cd's arrived and it's cracked excuse me my cd's being delivered to my neighbor excuse me whatever 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 the issues are i can't play it i put it in upside down i've done whatever every time that that happened he stopped the whole office and said right everybody this is how it's going to happen this is what the answer is these are the particular routes that you go down and he had someone write it as well and over the course of some months, I can't remember how many months, he'd created this how to be Derek dot doc booklet, which was mm-hmm. all of the things that he ended up encountering. And then he left the business, left the business for six months and, and nothing, nothing went wrong. And he was ringing them and they were like, what are you ringing for? We're fine. Like, leave us alone. We've got work to do. Um, That's very Tim Ferriss. Yes. So that that's such an interesting insight. And it's one that me and Darren learned later than we would have liked, but still earlier than we could have done that 
most of the problems that you're going to come up against in any business, actually, forget just online, most of the problems you're going to come up against are consistent challenges that you're going to face not just once, but probably monthly or every couple of months for the rest of the time that you run this business. And the person who will inevitably end up sitting below you or to the side of you, it is easier for you to write the perfect way in the, in the fewest number of words and the most precise language possible how you deal with this thing and then you can just give it to a person and it's basically like taking your knowledge out of your brain and giving it to them. I can't remember who it was that I was reading that said the job of a owner or managing director is basically to be a complex decision engine that can never be matched by anybody else. So if you actually think about what your role as a business owner is, you're taking in a million different inputs like the, the the way that that customer looked when he walked into the nightclub and how the DJ played his last half hour and the, the amount of mess on the floor of plastic glass waste and whether the this many people went home with the inflatables or without. And none of these things, using my industry as an example, I'm not noting any of those down. I don't have them quantified anywhere, but they do appear in consciousness and they will aggregate together to give me a sense of what is going on. And then when we sit down and we talk about the event the next day, I can say things that stayed in consciousness. I'm like, actually did notice quite a big wait at the bar sort of between 12 and 1230. Oh yeah, actually what happened, we ran out of ice. So it's okay, can we fix the ice machine ready for next week? Is there a way that we can get bags of ice in already? Utilizing all of those different things is your job. But what you find is that more and more, that is the only place that you add value, especially as you move up through the echelons of a business. That's the only place you can add value because there will be someone half your age in a decade's time that can come and do the thing that you used to take pride on to do with (laughs) optimizing Facebook ads or writing copy or doing whatever. That thing you used to think that you were the best at, you're now going to be not even halfway up the company at. The thing that you, yeah. the thing that you can't be competed out with is your experience and your ability to take those multiple things in. And by writing the document, it permits you to get other people to do what they can do and leaves you to do what only you can in the business. It's the, the thing that like every time you go through a McDonald's drive-through, you get given a Big Mac that's largely the same as the last Big Mac and the next Big Mac, and that's the same in London, Manchester, New York, and like, but it's not. Ray Kroc making the Big Mac, right? And that's really, like, when you really think about that, that's incredible that, like, there is such a process, like, even the way McDonald's is laid out and the way the drive-through works and the window that you pay out and all that sort of stuff. So that that's someone taking, this is how to run a McDonald's out of their head and making a document that can literally be copied and pasted around the world. Um, but it, it's, I mean, there's a book called The E-Myth Revisited that, that goes into this, and it's so hard to do. It's so hard to to come to terms with the fact that what you think you're good at is actually just a recipe that you can write down, give to someone else, and they might even be better than you. And, the, and, the, and the, all you have to do is like, actually, my the challenge for me is just picking a better person than me to do the thing that I thought of, mm-hmm. and then I'm just gonna slowly <laughs> creep out away. Of the room. That's a that's a good point. If there's someone listening that thinks this sounds all right, I might give the online business stuff a crack. Other than going to propanefitness.com/slash/modernwisdom. What are the books that you think would have the best impact on someone's insight? So I, th- I think you've got to read the four hour work week, to be honest. I think it's, it's such a, the way of, it's a way of thinking about it. 
I think that's that's very important. And, and Tim talks about exactly what we just spoke about, this idea of working towards taking mini retirements. So he uses an example of when he, I think his business was called Brain Quicken. I think it was a supplement business. He built it up and he, he gave virtual assistants thresholds of like, you can spend up to $200 to solve this problem. Do not ring me unless it is absolutely, unless it's above a $200. And then he went on, just went away and left everything and proved that this could be done. So I think that's a very important way to think about it from day one. And then the E-Myth Revisited walks through this example of pretty much what we've spoken about, although not online, of a lady who has a passion about baking. So she sets up a bakery and then before she knows it, she's spending more time like filing her taxes, doing the accounts, cleaning the services and actually doesn't do any baking at all and hates it. Right. And part of that is is realizing that in setting up a business, there's there's not just the core thing that you that you like doing. It's not just training clients. It's like all of the other support stuff. So probably those two books, they're very, very commonly, uh, very commonly recommended, but they're, they're very good like founding sets of principles. Um, that they're both quite accessible as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there is a book that I've not read yet, which is on my list of things to read. I think it's called made in America by Sam Walton. I believe who's the, I, I may have got those names wrong, but he's the guy who founded Walmart who talks about this idea that's then been popularized by Jeff Bezos, which is this idea of a, of a flywheel of, or kind of how Amazon, the bit, the bigger Amazon gets, the better Amazon gets. And it's on this like runaway snow snowball that, so like people buy from Amazon because there's loads of choice in Amazon. The more people buy from Amazon, the more people sell on Amazon, which means there's more choice in Amazon, which means more people buy from Amazon and the whole thing just gets away from itself. Um, so I think like, that sort of stuff as well learning from big uh ceos like watching interviews with with people who've done it is always really interesting they always have recommendations as well but i'd start with those two books i would say cool man i like it i i i wish that i'd uh had the insights that i do now and hopefully it's cut through some of the bullshit for people today like all of the stuff that you spend time when you start a business especially if you're young especially if you're listening to this and you're 20 years old and you've never done a business before and you're thinking about, do I need to be a limited company? Do I need to register for tax and, and VAT and an accountant? It's like you have a PayPal. The internet doesn't need you to do anything more than that. Start iterating on what it is. And here's a, a quote. I read a couple of these from yesterday. I don't know whether you saw them on, um, on my Instagram. Uh, Tiago Forte a paradoxical thing about people who consistently choose the most high leverage activity is their efforts have a rough-edged, half-assed quality because polishing things to perfection is a low leverage activity. And someone commented underneath saying, perfectionism is a nice way to hide from shipping at a pace necessary to find what works. I love that. I really, really agree with that. This is something that, um, so the, the thing we spoke about right at the start of like, just if you've got an idea like sell it and then build it with your customers and you'll end up building a better product that's something that i'm always pushing yusuf's limits on it's like he always wants to have something half perfect and then sell it but i you hear so many people talk about like just like anybody can sit and procrastinate anybody can sit and try and perfect something anybody can sit and tweak the color scheme but if you just launch it if you just get it out there and you do it quicker than your competitor you'll probably be ahead in a year's time the other, th the other thing as well is you run out of motivation usually 
at getting something from 90% perfect to 100% perfect far more than doing another 90% perfect thing of the same thing. Yeah. So for instance, I'm eating some frogs at the moment with this YouTube stuff and still finding my workflow. And I sat myself down and had a bit of a word with myself at the beginning of the year. I was like, look, you're going to encounter like so much discomfort. You're going to get frustrated at yourself. You're going to feel like you're incapable of doing what it is. Just keep getting yourself to good enough and ship it and get it to good enough and ship it. And over time, good enough will continue to increase. Um, And I've found keeping that in mind, keeping that little mantra that it's like, look, yeah, maybe you don't like the way you said this or the edit could be a bit more that, but it's, it's like, it's there and you've learned, you've gleaned most of the learning you had to from that particular iteration. I'm aware that this works more easily when it's a YouTube video that goes out three times a week or a podcast that goes out three times a week, as opposed to a big product that's maybe taken you six months to do. But even with that, asking quickly for bits of feedback, doing a glass door policy, which has been championed by Jack Butcher at Jack Butcher on Twitter for the people who aren't initiated into his little cult. Um, he has very much a glass door policy around his business. He happily tells people what his daily revenue is, how he's building things, where he's going next, what the next course is that he's going to release. And I think part of it is because his success is a humble brag, which makes him uh, increase in status and people want to be attached to him. But the other side of it is that he gets constant feedback from the market saying, actually, mate, why are you giving us a course about how to do design another course about design i don't want that i want one about mindset or i want one about this thing um and yeah the what is it that yusuf says idea is the constant delivery is the multiplier it may be i've never heard him say that before but it's a I quote agree. it's not his quote he's quoting someone <laughs> right. else but the point is everyone always considers that they've got this idea this really unique way um, it's going to be like fitness wear but it's like vegan and it's in like sustainable packaging um and all of the clothes are going to be purple and uh, like it's every pound of a sale goes to a dog and whatever like that's the thing but what people oh idea is the constant execution is the multiplier um people don't realize that it is all about the execution Mm -hmm. that for the most part you can have the best idea for a youtube video in the world but if your execution of it is awful then no one's going to listen and the same thing goes for pretty much every other it's online the, product. It's the person walking around the Tate Gallery in London going, I could have done that. So, well, yes, but <laughs> someone did. And now look where they are. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know you could have taken a photo of a cow in that way, and I'm sure it would have done very well, but ultimately you didn't. So it kind of removes the, it like removes the ability to criticize. It's the, um, the person who says that they thought of Uber before Uber was made and all, the, all those sorts of things. So, yeah, I fully agree. And the, the other thing about that as well is, like, only you know what the 100% might have looked like. No one else knows that what that your 80% was actually the 100%. And if we've got any criticisms, great. Like, it was only 80% perfect, so I could, I've got room to improve. Yeah, but it's, uh, that's a really, really good point as well. That was something I was thinking of the other day, that it is only you that ever feels the lack of potential that you fulfilled within a project. Because to everyone else from the outside looking in, they just think, well, that's the, that's the product, service, course, sales funnel, video, podcast. That's the thing. They don't hmm. think, oh, well, that could have been the thing, but actually he's half-assed it and given us it at, at this stage. So, yeah, man, I love it. A, a nice reminder of that, just a wrap-up, nice reminder of that principle that I'm faced with all the time is 
every time I launch an ad campaign, four images, and I always guess. I'm like, that one's going to do best. And I'm every single time I'm wrong. <laughs> even after even after getting it wrong consistently and learning which one won and using that information going forward, I've still never been right. So like your idea of what other people are going to think is good is very, very rarely the case. So 8% of it, do it, and people respond either positively or negatively. And that's the only, really the only way to progress. So, I love it, yeah. man. I love it. How not to start an online business. Uh, <laughs> people want to check out stuff about propane and what you do. Where do they go? What do they get? So I've, I've just been lovely again and, and done something special for you, which is nice, isn't it? So we did a training the other day, um, which is more general. Um, it's still still for online fitness business mainly, but it's kind of more if you're sat there thinking, I'd like to give this a, a crack, but I'm not sure where to start. Um, it's more from the ground up principles based, covers everything that we've just spoken about in a bit more detail. So that is at propinfitness.com forward slash MW business. You can go and grab that free training, yours forever. Um, in terms of following us in general, probably the best places is uh, we have two podcasts. We have a fitness podcast and a business podcast. Uh, we talk about, as you might guess, fitness and business. Uh, or our YouTube channel, just search uh, Propane Fitness on YouTube. And, and on the YouTube channel, actually, you'll find links to both the podcasts as well. So those are the, those are the best places. Don't don't go to Instagram and stuff like that because it'll, it'll be dead in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Man, thank you. It's been a shame not to have Sefi, but I've, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. If you've got any thoughts, comments, or feedback, just throw them in the comments below on YouTube or message Johnny on a platform which isn't Instagram. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget that you can pick up my ultimate life hacks list for free at chriswillx.com slash lifehacks. Over 200 ways that you can upgrade your life instantly. It is a catalogue, a beautiful library of every life hack we have ever featured on the show, and it's absolutely free and yours to keep forever. Head to chriswillx.com slash lifehacks and download your PDF today. Peace. <laughs>